I'm with uh, Marjorie Rand. Hi, Marjorie. Hi, Serge. Uh, so these days you do a lot of work with yoga, but uh, it was quite a journey to get here. Um, do you want to maybe give a little background as to um, what you've been doing? Okay. Um, I practice yoga probably for the past 30 years off and on um, in many different forms of yoga. So it's something that has been part of my personal practice all along my development as a therapist. I also came from dance movement therapy and Neil and Gestalt and object relations and all of these uh, paths sort of converged into the formation of integrative body psychotherapy um, that actually originated with Jack Rosenberg whom I became partners with in the late 70s, 1976 I think it was mm-hmm. and we um, actually put a name to the work that we were doing which was this integration of all these developmental theories and body theories and yoga theories and sort of an eastern-western approach. Yeah, I want to add also that, uh, you know, in a way, just hearing you right now, it seemed like the the balance is more in the eastern part, but you also are grounded in uh, western, uh, uh, you know, academic psychotherapy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, at one point, Jack called it western yoga or, you know, a psychological yoga. Because we know from yoga that this doesn't normally happen in a regular yoga class, in a regular yoga studio, but that different poses for different people, depending on not only their bodies, but also their emotional, um, mental states, um, is going to produce different uh, experiences. And for some people, and I think yoga teachers are very aware of this, that certain poses, let's, let me just say inversions or backbends, for instance, bring up tremendous amount of fear. Now, if you have a background like I have and understand perhaps how early that fear might be coming from, it isn't anything that they might, might not even be able to verbalize because it might be something even prenatal. That's how early it could be. Um, so maybe that, um, you know, in a way, I think in the, during the rest of this conversation, we're probably mostly going to be talking about the therapeutic use of yoga. But maybe a parenthesis here is that uh, when people experience some difficulties in yoga, uh, that might be something that they could actually explore in therapy. Right. Well, that that sort of brings me to what I do now, and we can back up and talk about how I got there mm-hmm. at some point. But what I find that I that I bring and integrate from yoga, um, specifically restorative poses, which means the use of props. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe ten years ago, I might have asked somebody who uh, was experiencing a diaphragm block or a pelvic block, I might put them into a bridge, which is like a backbend pose, um, and have them uh, stay in the bridge and breathe, and that would spread out the charge or the energy, and it would um, move it through the body. That would be a very effective, quick way to do it. And that has... uh, it's something like a bioenergetic um, 
Like the and, roller or the chair, the roller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or standing even to to uh, stress the quadriceps. Mm -hmm. That causes a release. That's how I would have done it. Um, that would be my intermediate stage. The old days, I would have taken my hands and gone and worked on the person's body. In the days when I stopped doing that, I used the specific yoga pose to stress the body. Mm -hmm. The What I do now is that I could see that although doing the yoga pose um, produced a release very quickly, I also found that putting them in the pose caused tension, that they had to do a lot of work and effort and and use a lot of, you know, muscles to do that. And when I um, I got certified about three, four years ago in uh, supported yoga therapy, which is even more relaxing than restorative. It's the use of props. So when a client comes in and they want to um, do a piece of, you know, IBP work with me, this is the way I practice it, is I'll take a bolster, um, which is a, a long, uh, like a cushion that we use in yoga, and, and it can go horizontally or vertically or all different d directions. Let's say if I wanted to have somebody's chest be a little more open, mm -hmm. I can place the bolster underneath their torso with their buttocks on the table or the floor, wherever I'm working, and their feet, their knees bent with their feet on the floor a pillow under their head, but their arms, the bolster is maybe about four inches thick. So they would have, um, they would be having a stretch in the diaphragm, mm -hmm. just the shoulders, even the cervical. So their, their arms would be off to the sides, palms up, and their shoulders would be dropping off the, off the bolster. But the whole diaphragm, chest, shoulder area would be very gently, this is not huge, it's, it's four inches. Uh, the weight of the arms and just relaxing and giving the, the body over to being supported on the bolster or on, you know, giving into gravity. I would have them start to work on, you know, uh, breathing into the chest and the diaphragm area, but they wouldn't have to um, do any work because the weight of their own body is opening the body as this is going on. So even if I didn't have them do specific deep breathing, if I just had them experience what that felt like, directing the breath into different places and so forth, then um, we could achieve an opening of the body. Right, right. Without tension. So just let me backtrack a little bit, just uh, because I think there's a lot in there. Um, I think, uh, you know, just in a way at some very basic level, is something that uh, your approach, as one of, one of the things you said, is, uh, you know, I use yoga when I do IBP. So everything you do, uh, you're very much from the IBP, that's your model, and then yoga is something that you, uh, you use in the process of yeah. doing IBP? It's, I, everything that I do in my personal practice, whether it be yoga, whether it be meditation, um, 
I integrate, it comes, you know, through me as, as a therapist, it, it comes out in the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Now, also, what is interesting, you mentioned that the, you know, as the work you do, so that's a, it's a, it's a use of the body to, to process, you know, what's happening and looking for that release. And that, as I understand it, you know, the first way, first you were doing it with touch. Then you went, uh, through looking for forms of self-release. And it seemed like you were doing things that were more, uh, similar to what Reikian therapists do. And now you go uh, look, use yoga in a, a restorative and supportive way that is more gentle. Yes. Um, I don't know that Reikian therapists use the yoga postures the way IBP uh, teaches them. We call them the self-release techniques. And they mm-hmm. go all the way from uh, something that the client does themselves, which mm-hmm. is, you know, teaching the client how to fish, so to speak, um, something that they do on their own, and that would incorporate yoga postures, but it's also other types of uh, movements, and um, there is some degree of touch which is involved, but it's very subtle. It's working with pressure points to move energy. Mm. So not actually going in and going into the blocks, because the blocks are there for a reason, and it's the Gestalt point of view really would be anyway just to become aware of it. And, you know, um, the client would gently at some point in time be willing to let go of that if the, um, if the container is a safe enough place to open up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's that notion of container and of containment in your approach. Absolutely. Which is also another um, sort of shift that I made uh, pretty early on, uh, because I have been practicing for about 35 years, and in the days when I learned um, what body psychotherapy was, it was a, a Reichian slash Neo-Reichian model, mm-hmm. and that was definitely cathartic. Um, and we did believe that as soon as you did the high-charged breathing, that the energy would start to build up and it would confront the, the blocks in the segments. And then we would do all kinds of things, including action patterns, like hitting, kicking, so forth. Not only just going in and, like, say, working on a pelvic block, going in and holding someone's legs together, mm-hmm. my own body. I, 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 I'm almost shocked myself to even, you know, um, have the image of what that was. Mm. That is what we used to do. Well, over the years, you know, I do believe that that model um, reinforced uh, patterns that were trauma trauma patterns mm-hmm. in the brain. And, you know, we, we learned in a lot of different ways, um, to quote Peter Levine's model, the resource model. This is a resource model in the sense that the blocks cover up the sense of self. The sense of self with the big S is that flow of energy that we identify with and that when we connect with, we're, we're okay and we're connected with the rest of the environment or other people or the universe or whatever mm-hmm. kind of language you want to use. The point is to get to that sense of self 
and well-being that exists when the body is open and the energy is flowing and you're in touch with your aliveness. Yeah. And so, so you know, the, what happens is that that's assaulted from even before birth. Yeah, yeah. So, so what you're doing is instead of confronting the blocks and going into um, something that's in effect recreating a struggle that may have been, um, you know, strengthening the blocks, you uh, have a much more uh, gentle and uh, supportive approach. Oh, you said something really important. You said that it may be strengthening the blocks. That's exactly the problem. If you rip a scab off a wound, so Mm -hmm. to speak, um, what's going to form there is going to be scar tissue. So you don't, you know, I don't think there's any purpose in reopening the wound, um, even when it's being witnessed in a very empathic way by the therapist. I think if you just give the body a chance to open on its own and you have already created a connection to the sense of self because the, the people have been able to feel comfortable in going through um, the process with you, mm-hmm. that they know when they um, finish the session, they're going to feel connected to themselves, they're going to feel grounded, they're going to feel alive, they're going to feel good, they're going to feel happy. Mm-hmm. Both people leave feeling really good. Right. So the idea that therapy is about having to feel your pain, to me, is to stop sleep. Mm-hmm. So the point is, how do I get them to connect to that sense of well-being at the end of the session? And once that new pattern is there, then if deeper things arise, the sense of self is big enough to handle the regressed states. Yeah. So let's maybe just think about what could happen. Obviously, no two sessions are alike, but let's imagine a fairly typical situation where a client, uh, you know, comes and has problems or, you know, just... uh, what what happens? Do you talk? Do you get into do you um, do you get into uh, physical uh, work? Into yoga postures? Okay. Well, there there could be two possible ways. Um, not everybody um, who comes here um, even knows about what IBP is. Mm-hmm. Um, some people come here. For instance, I work with families. I work with couples. You know, I work with uh, parenting issues, you know, in that sense. They, they are not here to lie down on a, a massage table or a yoga mat and do some um, body work, although some of those people ultimately um, sort of convert <laughs> over to that because they, you know, I, I can guide them into just asking them what they're feeling and so forth so it can go that way. But even the body part, if a person specifically knows and is referred to me for doing somatic psychotherapy, um, there's always a verbal component to it, of course. Mm -hmm. So just having someone lie down, they already become regressed. Perhaps they, you know, might close their eyes. Sometimes um, I want them to uh, to help them access their body more easily. I might put a little um, eye pillow over their eyes. It's very calming and soothing. Other people I wouldn't because I need them to stay present and be able to stay in 
eye contact with me, so it would depend on the person. Mm-hmm. They would come in, and I, I would initiate the session. This would be sort of typical session. A lot of people want to talk right away, but once they find out what happens in a session, generally they get on the table, and the first thing they do, oh, I don't say anything, the mm-hmm. first thing they do is take a great big sighing breath and, you know, just getting on the table and it it already shifts them into a different mode. But I normally ask people to just tune in with themselves first. Don't change anything. Mm -hmm. This is the awareness, the sensory awareness part of it. Just uh, take a look, notice your breath, notice your sensations. Uh, where does your awareness go? Very open-ended because I don't really have an agenda. And that's their baseline reading for the rest of the session. Mm-hmm. Now, either it can go from body to mind or mind to body, but if it starts out that they say that they notice a certain something in their body, whether most people notice tension and pain first, of course. We might start from there and yeah, so start what going in, into that and see where it goes. Right. So in a way, the, the, from the very beginning, uh, there's a sense of connecting to uh, some curiosity about the self, you know, in the sense of the flow, noticing what's impeding the flow in a well, gentle way. What it is is connecting to their own experience. To their own experience. It's getting them present, grounded in the body, and can they track their experience from moment to moment with me, with themselves? That's basically the whole thing right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it could also start with a verbal thing and then go to the body. So it goes back and forth. Yeah. A person might come in and say, you know, come up with some kind of issue or problem that's going on for them in their life right now. And I'm, you know, would... would ask them to tell me what they're aware of while they're talking to me. Um, And so we bounce back and forth between uh, maybe doing a piece of verbal work that comes to a sort of a level of resolution. And I'll say, okay, now what are you feeling? Well, you know, constantly going back and tracking what's happening energetically, what's happening in terms of sensations. As the verbal work whether it's reporting on what's going on in their body or whether it's talking about a repressed experience that they are feeling that's coming up from the past or whether it's about, you know, something that's happening in their life right now. Mm-hmm. Back to the body again. Mm-hmm. And at the point, um, when you say back to the body, this is about tracking. This is not about um, any specific movement, or but just is simply tracking what's in the body at this moment as they talk. Yes, and what happens is, you know, even though I'm not following the, this uh, as an ideal progression mm-hmm. in any way, there does tend to be, um, you know, especially if I direct them back to their breath. Now, a lot of times I don't specifically um, have them read any special way, but what I'm also tracking and what the breath influences that we didn't mention is the autonomic nervous system. And that's also, um, it's teaching them self-regulation and how to, you know, enliven themselves and and bring up more energy Uh and how to calm themselves and, you know, lower their levels of stress and arousal. 
and having them use breathing and having them use the yoga posture. Okay, so in a way that's kind of the transition mode because um, so far um, that's been from the place of noticing. Uh, and in noticing the internal state and in noticing the breathing, uh, there's the basis for some self-regulation. But then there's also, you introduce the exercises. And those are part of the self-regulation. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that's beautifully put. Thank you very much. You've got it. Okay. Um, so maybe would you describe some of what could happen with yoga? Because that's something I'm sure that a lot of people, there's a, you know, this yoga has taken such an importance these days. It would be... Well, what I started to say earlier was that, you know, people can have emotional releases in the context of a of a yoga class. And mm-hmm. sometimes they have it in the class, but a lot of times they don't feel comfortable um, expressing or it's not appropriate or for whatever reason. Um, now, a good yoga instructor would probably notice if someone was having um, an, a, a, a difficult experience and that they may or may not. They, they may not if there's a hundred people in the class. Mm-hmm. But um, we know that the yoga postures can create, also can affect the autonomic nervous system. And, and that has to do with, in the Reichian modality, it has to do with the segments of the body. Mm-hmm. And um, so putting someone in a forward bend is completely different than putting someone in a back bend. Mm-hmm. And so if you have somebody, you can use the postures as well as the breath, which in yoga we call pranayama, to regulate the autonomic nervous system. So um, the the fact that people can have emotional releases from opening the body, that's the basis of body psychotherapy. And so the, uh, the yoga just fits in with that because the posture is already... Um, facilitate that. Does that make sense? Yeah, in other words, that um, there's, um, there's a, a body of, um, of, of experience about uh, what the body can do to the mind that's very old, that you draw on. You don't need to reinvent these exercises because they exist, but within the framework of having IBP as a, as a container, you're able to, uh, to find a, a place to deal with the emotions that are released or with the, uh, the nervous system release that happens absolutely so I would like to and in fact I'm doing a program at the yoga studio that I teach at now I'm doing a program uh, yoga psychotherapy program and I presented it at USABP last year in New Jersey mm-hmm. we did a day long and that is using yoga poses to um, bring awareness to the emotional issues and putting people in certain poses and um, restorative poses with the props and and using the props for awareness. Here's an example. Mm-hmm. Do you know what down dog is? Mm-hmm. Okay, so in fact you signed up for that workshop. Yes. <laughs> um, if I put someone in down dog against the wall so that they're not having to support themselves just on their hands and their feet completely and I put a block right on their third eye. 
okay, mm-hmm. and they rest their forehead on the block in down dog, and, they, and they, it's, it's a light pressure. It's not putting all the weight of your body on it. What do you think is going to happen to the ocular segment? Mm-hmm. Perfect example of putting someone in a pose, and it totally affects the ocular segment just by the contact of the um, forehead on the block mm-hmm. in that pose. Mm-hmm. You can do the same thing with blocks under the diaphragm, um, shoulder stands, on the wall. I mean, they're all supported, so people do not have to hurt themselves in any way. They're very, anyone can do it. Right, right. So, uh, actually, um, uh, are people, when you tell tell them that, you know, say the example of the downward dog, um, aware that something's going to happen in the ocular segment, or uh, they just you just introduce the the exercise by no, itself? No, they're not aware because that's what's supposed to happen. Is they're supposed to become aware of the ocular segment okay. through through doing that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I ask people to report their experience to me, I could give you a list of things they say. Are they doing it right? That's number one. Every mm. single person, I don't care who it is. It's a whole big performance thing. Mm. Since there is no right thing for them to experience, then that's number one right there is a piece of work. Oh, yeah. Where does that come from? And then, you know, how do I look to other people? Other people are doing it better than me, um, you know, a- any, all of the, these issues come up immediately, mm-hmm. and so there's, and then of course, you can track their basic fault, which would be their, their um, injury to their core self, is I'm not good enough, let's say, let's just make that one up, mm-hmm. and you know, they, you will find that in consistently throughout a, a session, whether they're using you know yoga or not, that this will ultimately um, be present no matter what they're doing. Right, but, but maybe what this does um, make it come into relief, in a starker relief. But in a gentle way. In a gentle way. And so, actually, with this gentle way, I know that uh, your approach is very much uh, one of um, wellness as opposed to pathology. So, would you describe a bit about how that works? Uh, okay, well, I touched upon it earlier when I said that the, the, the work is about connecting to that sense of self with the big S, mm-hmm. and that feeling of connection to self and others. And so if, um, so this sort of takes us into the containment model again. Mm-hmm. The idea that um, the more alive you are, um, the more expanded you are. So if your container is your body and your energy field, of course, mm-hmm. um, then I say you have to open the body first so that there's, so that it's expanded and there's uh, space 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so very literally that sense of uh, a more open body is more space and therefore more room to contain more resilience. Absolutely. Well, you're, you're very good at <laughs> articulating what it is I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's exactly it. So then more that you have the um, ability to contact that sense, that sense of self, which is what I call it, mm-hmm. um, it's energetic, obviously, I believe. The more you have of that, the more ability you have to connect to that. If you have that, you deal with your life. You walk through your life being connected to that sense of well-being and okayness, your feet are on the ground, and, you know, you have a level of liberation or freedom or what have you. So working on the level of the problem is more like sort of third chakra work, mm-hmm. and sure, you have to go there, but to me, they're interruptions to that sense of well-being and containment that I want to get this person to. I've had people come in and say, oh, I've got to talk. There's so much going on. I have so many problems. I said, well, you know, do a little tiny bit of breathing first. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the session, I said, well, you know, so you want to talk? And now I'm like, yeah, yeah. So, so, which, which again doesn't mean that you have ignored it, but then it's been processed, or the container itself has taken care of it, and right. that's what the difference is uh, between. Right. You know, yeah. What I said to her, just to clarify that, because mm-hmm. I jumped from A to B, is I said, you know what? If you just spend a little time to the end, I promise in a few minutes I will remind you that you can talk about whatever it was because she said I can't I can't not talk about it now because I'll forget and I said no I won't let you out so I contained it for her okay and then by the time I said do you want to talk about it she said eh <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's really nice. What you mentioned is actually that the containment is at the level of the individual, that the person, but in a way that your own containing it, your own uh, you know, containment, makes it possible to create this containment in the client. Well, um, absolutely. See, I think um, you can practice on your own or you can practice with a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I do consider it uh, it's very much an educational way that I work with people, um, but I do believe that it's really important to be witnessed because their original injury occurred in the context of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And in order to transcend that and to you know, be vulnerable and to open up so that you can connect with all of that, you have to feel safe. And I think the idea of being witnessed is, is huge. And then as clients co-op would say, the client would uh, internalize that witnessing function and become able to observe themselves. But, you know, the reason it's therapy is really because it happens in the context of a relationship. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's also what's important is what you mentioned about, um, you know, the you mentioned the psycho- self-psychology and, uh, uh, you know, you had talked before about Western yoga, so that all of this is happening that even though you may not be um, talking so much about specifics of, um, uh, you know, 
problems that the awareness, the understanding of, of your dealing with them is present in the room. Oh, absolutely. I, I teach, actually, or have taught for many, many years something that I call somatic empathy. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, I co-wrote a book with Babette Rothschild called Help for the Helper, mm-hmm. in which somatic empathy is the main focus of the whole book. And that's what I practice and teach therapists to practice with their clients, which is tracking yourself in order to track the client. Mm-hmm. But knowing the difference that uh, what's my feeling and my experience, because it is my body, and, you know, what is there. And it's almost like saying, training people to be intuitive. Mm-hmm. But it really is about tracking yourself and noticing. Am I holding? Am I breathing? What am I feeling? And using that information, I don't use it uh, by assumption. I check it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that need explaining? What I- no, I think it feels very nice. It's a, it's very exp- in other words, it's very experimental, scientific. It's not taking for granted. It's um, yeah. just it's a series of, um, of experiments that you check out what's happening. Exactly. And so, you know, we don't have intuition as uh, being something that's a magical quality or something, right. that, but it's a skill that you can develop. You can absolutely develop it when you've been doing it as long as I have. You know, then there's the element of trust. Now, I totally trust myself now because I've been doing it for so long. Trust is the problem that most people have because they, you know, they don't act upon what it is that they know. But what I do is I don't tell the client. I might not say anything, but if I do, I pick up on something. I ask them if they know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes, you know, um, it's appropriate to help them find out. Sometimes it's appropriate to just wait and see. Mm -hmm. So that's what I sort of mean by checking it out. Yeah, yeah. But you see how gestalt this all is. Yeah, very much so. That, that was my first my first therapy training in the early 70s, late 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I guess you'd say I'm third generation. You know how they talk about traditions mm-hmm. when you've been around as long as I have. I didn't train with Fritz, but I trained with all the people that Fritz trained. Yeah. But it's very nice. What's very beautiful as you talk is to see how all of these different trainings and different approaches are beautifully integrated in this work. You know, just uh, uh, that as you might be uh, doing yoga with somebody, there is gestalt and there is self-psychology and, you know, there is relational approaches. All of these are very much, it's not one thing and another that you might use as different tools. No, no, not at all. Yeah. I always tell people they like to think the B in IBP is the is the most important letter, but it's not. It's the I. Yeah. Integrative. And the other thing that's very amusing to me, actually, is the renaissance of mindfulness in the psychoanalytic community, which, of course, you know, I've been studying uh, studying Zen philosophy and practicing zazen also mm-hmm. um, for that same number of years. Um, and practicing Vipassana, and in my mind, you know, that's a huge part of what we do in therapy is 
I ultimately I'm teaching my clients to meditate, mm-hmm. to clear their mind, to you know, to clear the surface of their mind of the turbulence of their thoughts and to tune in to deeper levels of awareness. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, as I say, I think it's but now all of a sudden it's been you know rediscovered. Right. And, <laughs> Yeah, you're giggling because you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Reinventing the wheel. Yes. But I didn't mention mindfulness. I mentioned sensory awareness. But, you know, uh, I would have to say that piece I would want to emphasize because Charlotte Selver was probably one of the most important teachers I ever had. Mm -hmm. Good. So, Marjorie, as we're coming to the end, um, is it a good place to leave it or is there something you would want to add? No, I think we pretty much covered everything. Great, great. Unless you have a question. No, it seems like a very nice way to uh, to end on this note. Uh, so thanks. And thank you so much. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.